At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greg Peterson here, and I want to thank you for listening to the Urban Farm Podcast. We wouldn't be able to keep doing these great shows without you. So as a token of my appreciation, I'd like to offer you access to a list of our top 10 episodes I personally find most inspiring. If you enjoy the Urban Farm Podcast but don't have time to listen to everyone, then you will love this list. Although all our guests have great information to offer, if you are short on time, these 10 are must-listens. To get access to the top 10 most inspiring podcast episodes, text FARMER to 44222. That's FARMER to 44222. And enjoy listening. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow-your-own-food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Perrine of Beck Halloween Farm to talk about her book called Miraculous Abundance, One Quarter Acre, Two French Farmers, and Enough Food to Feed the World. Perrine has worked as an international lawyer and head of a legal department of a major company in Asia and has volunteered with the High Commissioner for Refugees. When she turned 30, Perrine radically changed lanes and began taking courses in psychotherapy, specifically in relaxation therapy, publishing a book titled La Relaxation en Famille. <laughs> I know. I did as best as I could. Yes, that's good. <laughs> then with her husband, Charles, she created Beck Halloween Farm, inspired by permaculture principles. They both wrote Miraculous Abundance, published by Chelsea Green here in the United States, and lead experiments on their farm. In 2018, they will publish another book that is a summary of all the techniques they use to grow food. Welcome to the show today, Perrine. Thank you. Thank you so much, Craig, and thank you for this introduction. Oh, yes, absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Well, I guess there's a lot to say, but concerning the farm, I have to say that nothing has been a straight line. As you mentioned, <laughs> I had a different career before. So yeah. what led me from uh, being a, an in-house lawyer to a farming uh, is no straight line. In fact, you know, when I was in this business world, I, 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 would, I was wondering what I was doing there. I was really enjoying the fact that uh, my job was intellectually challenging. Mm -hmm. I had the, the chance, uh, and for me, it is a real chance and an honor to practice ab abroad because I love uh, yes. being with people from different cultures, mm -hmm. speaking different languages, and that I loved really much, very much. But, I mean, on a daily basis, I couldn't say 
what I was doing all this for. I mean, mm. what was the meaning of dealing uh, agreements, making money for a company that would do what would what would they do about it? Actually, yeah. I mean, so um, uh, I was kind of um, in a quest, in the middle of a quest. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was wondering what I was here for, what was my role on this planet at this time of my life. And uh, I've been thinking a lot. And for that, I came back to France on a holiday, I would say, for six months. Uh, I needed <laughs> a rest and I needed to, to think about things. Uh-huh. I needed to see my family. And then I met Charles, Charles, who became my husband very quickly, actually. Nice. <laughs> this time. And together, we then had to recreate, reimagine our lives because he had uh, children from a previous wedding. And I was not ready to live in France, but I had to uh, stop being abroad. And at some point, we both decided that we wanted a radical change um, Mm. with regard to our previous lives. And Charles had already bought a very small tiny tiny house in um, in normandy so in a, in a very rural area one hour and a half drive from paris uh-huh. and i said okay let, let's give it a try i was very much interested into uh, self-sufficiency you know i had been living in tokyo hong kong china uh, traveling quite often to the U.S. for years, and I was a bit fed up with the big cities right. and stuff. So I was ready to give it a try. And then, wow, uh, I didn't try it. I adopted it. <laughs> it was a new way of life, but um, I loved it. And thinking that I would be able to produce my own food, produce our food for the family to live very differently not to step into any shop for a few days. Wow, that was a real, 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 real dream to me. So I said, okay, go ahead, let's go for it. But first of all, we wanted to be self-sufficient and that's it. But then one day he came to me and said, oh my God, I love the job. I, I love farming. I said, oh, come on, we're not farmers. We're just gardeners and we do it for the family. But he said, yes, I'm serious about it. I want to become a farmer. Yay. I want to do it professionally. I said, okay, you go ahead. I'm going to do something else because you're, you're a crazy man. <laughs> <laughs> and he went for it and I said, oh, no, I can't let him uh, battle like this on, a, on his own because there's so much to do, you know, when you create a farm. Yeah. So I started helping him. And you know how the story goes. You start to help somebody and then you get involved fully into it and that's how things started so things really started i mean we legally we created a farm in 2006 wow okay so it was like 11 years ago yes and we were organic from from day one there was no question about it we would work with horses but then, you know, there was something missing and there was a lack of maybe meaning, a lack of relationship with the mother nature, maybe. Mm-hmm. But something was missing. So I was, well, pretty brave about it. I did what I had to do, but uh, I'm sure I wouldn't have uh, gone on uh, if we hadn't met with uh, the miracle with permaculture. Mm-hmm. And permaculture was not a miracle in reality. The miracle was the way we uh, we tried to to implement whatever we've discovered. And uh, the relationship with na- nature was completely different, thanks to the permaculture glasses. Mm, in fact, yes, 
Mm-hmm. So it was it was amazing. It was uh, we had of course no idea of what we were doing. We were completely beginners. We had no training. Can you believe that? No farming training at all. <laughs> so it was completely crazy. You know, yeah. the people in the area they would see us as Parisian. We were not from Paris, but that doesn't matter. If in the countryside, if you're not from there, you're from Paris. So we were both Parisian, trying to uh, to 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 play farmers, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was funny, but I guess at some point they took us seriously because they saw we were working for for real. And so it was funny to see how our close environment reacted to uh, to uh, uh, the the beginning of the farm. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. When I, so one of the things that I encourage people to do is think differently about growing food. And I, the way I do that, and you, you know, illustrated it in what you said a moment ago, and that's that you know, growing food is a hobby, but farming is a profession. Mm-hmm. And so I just encourage people to take on themselves as an urban farmer or a rural farmer. And it's really this simple. If you grow food and share it, you're a farmer. Yeah. yeah. Most farmers sell their food. Some farmers share their food. Mm -hmm. But even if you're sharing it with your family, you're a farmer. And that takes that take this whole notion of being a farmer just to a different level. Yes. I agree. And f- being a farmer is not only about food production, it's, only, it's also, that's my belief, actually, it is also about sharing, sharing yes. knowledge, sharing yes. authenticity, yeah. and sharing a, w- a way of life. And here at the moment in France, it's getting quite big because this society we're living in is getting harder and harder, more aggressive, more difficult on uh-huh. a daily basis. Uh-huh. And people think then that they can escape this society with uh, going back to uh, to the countryside, uh-huh. creating a farm. They don't know how difficult it is at first. But again, I say, doesn't matter. Give it a try. Well, don't start uh, out of nothing like, like we did without any training, without any experience, without uh-huh. any uh, thought, serious thought, I mean, even financially speaking. But go for it because whatever you're going to learn through this experience is worth, I mean, years of years of uh, of training or education. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So you use the word permaculture. As did, mm. I, as did I in your intro. I would I would like you to just answer the following question. What is permaculture to you? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. You know, usually what I have to do here, the first definition I have to say is kind of a negative one. I have to say permaculture is no agricultural techniques. It's, it's no farming technique. Right. Because people tend to get confused yeah. between permaculture and maybe uh, regenerative agriculture or yeah. permaculture and organic agriculture mm-hmm. and stuff like this. They don't realize that it is a conceptual system, uh, a way of uh, creating ecosystems. And this is huge. And we see with our trainees, because we've created a school, that the most difficult thing they have to understand is that permaculture is not about techniques. Okay, you're going to use in your permaculture-inspired yeah. uh, system all the techniques that suit the system, like we do, um, I mean, hugel culture, yeah. uh, raised bed culture, and well, we do everything by hand, for example, or things like this. But the thing you have to understand is that you're going to recreate an ecosystem, you're going to mimic nature so that you 
are more efficient in producing whatever food you're producing. You know, for, for instance, for us, it's vegetables, fruits, herbs, uh-huh. and stuff like this. And we also have uh, animals. But the, this is the main thing they have to understand. You've got a few principles. If you set by those principles, then you're going to be able to have an ecosystemic reflection. The way you're going to think is going to be always in um, in coherence in a relationship with nature yeah. in nature Beautiful. nothing is broken and you don't think about things like a straight line there are no straight lines in nature so everything is uh, like a circle round mm-hmm. and all the cycles are are finished i mean everything leads to another thing and i used to say when i have visitors on the farm that everything that comes from the soil goes back to the soil. So it's it's very important to let people understand that it is pretty much a way to see what you're going to do, to see the way you're going to farm, to see nature, rather than a specific technique. Once you've understood that if you plant trees, if you if you create plants, if you create uh, microclimates, if you have different zones on your space, on your on your system, then you're going to be far more productive than on a flat piece of land with no trees, no pond, um, no microclimates, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Got it. So do you have a favorite permaculture principle? Um I have to say that the one that gave me a headache at first was the problem is a solution, but oh, now yes. it's my favorite. <laughs> it took me years to understand this one. What does this mean? Yeah. I mean, the problem is a solution. No, when I have problems, I have problems yeah. and I have to find solutions. But then it occurred to me that uh, thanks to slugs, actually, my my big problem at first were, were slugs because, you know, we are in a valley in uh-huh. a very humid climate in right. Normandy. And of course, once we started to cover the soil, slugs were so happy. I mean, mm. they had yep. uh, they had a shelter, they had food, they had pl- plenty of uh, uh, good things there. So we really had problems. And thanks to the slugs, and because I've been thinking a lot about how to get rid of the slugs, right. I found a, f- a lot of things about soil life because, you know, I said, okay, why are there so many slugs on my so- I mean, on my res bed, for instance? What are the, what are the slugs' uh, functions in, in nature? Right. They, ha- they are supposed to decompose. So why are they here on my soil? Does it mean that the compost that I put in is not get well decomposed or do I put too much uh, mulch or is my mulch not diversified mm-hmm. enough, etc., etc.? And thanks to them, I went... I managed to enter the, 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 the wonder world of microorganism, which I love now and I intend t- to understand. So now I can say, yeah, my problem was the slugs and my problem is my solution because thanks to the slugs, I understood how my soil work and I'm happy now, I'm eager to be able to prepare uh, many microorganism uh, solutions, compost tea and stuff uh-huh. that I can feed my soil with. Yeah. And step by, by step, knowing how slugs react and how, how they function somehow, uh, I manage not 
to completely deter the slugs population because this is not the, the meaning of uh, an ecosystem. In an ecosystem, you try to set a balance. Yep. You try to balance everything. You do not eradicate or kill anyone. You just try to get a balance. So thanks to those slugs, not only did I manage to have good soil, to understand what type of mulch I shall have, but also I managed to have now a reasonable population of slugs on the farm. They're still here, but they, I'm happy enough now to let them in since they don't eat all the vegetables, yep. and I'm happy also to have a good soil. There's a balance in place. Beautifully, yes. beautifully mm. said. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. So I, you know, I'm really excited about your book, uh, mm. Miraculous Abundance, One Quarter Acre, Two French Farmers and Enough Food to Feed the World. Mm -hmm. So this this notion of abundance, I actually teach about it a lot. At, you know, when, oh, I'm really? teaching, mm. when, when I'm teaching about, about it as a professor and when I'm talking in public. And one of the places that I start the conversation at is I ask people where this notion of lack lives. Mm. Mm. You know, and, and as far as I can tell, the only place this, this thing called lack lives is between our ears. Because every mm. time, every time I look at nature, there is such an amazing amount of abundance. Yep. I agree. And the lack that we have uh, in our heads uh, most of the time leads to a lack in uh, in the knowledge we yeah. can get from uh, from mother nature and therefore th that's where we start doing the wrong things yeah. i mean when you start uh, cutting trees and you you let the desert set in that's because you wanted to to make yeah. fire yeah. but you could have done things differently and so on so i guess yes the lack comes from uh, the lack of uh, either imagination or lack of uh, freedom <laughs> freedom of, uh, of thinking sometimes you are so constrained so closed into a specific uh, set of mind that you can't realize that in front of your eyes you have something else something yeah. different happening yeah. and nature is such a great model for that oh that is the case and and you know in, in our pre-conversation you you also said uh, lack sometimes lives in the heart well, well when I, you have it in your head, um, most of the time it comes to the heart yeah. because maybe you've you've been lacking love when you were young, maybe you've been lacking respect. And that's what's happening with uh, native people. That's what's happening with with the nature itself, with the soil, with the earth, yeah. because we are polluting so much and we, we lack of respect because we lack of uh, of knowledge, I guess, of understanding, but not a, a type of understanding we would gain in school, I guess. It's a, right. an understanding from soul to soul somehow. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, Miraculous Abundance, tell us about your book. Mm. <laughs> so many things to say. Well, first of all, I, I should say that it is really a couple story. It's it's Charles and uh, and my story uh, together. And um, Charles is the the one who writes because we are a power couple, as Elliot and uh, and Barbara said when they when they came to our farm. They they came. Elliot Coleman and uh, and uh -huh. Barbara Barbara came something like three or four years ago. And when they left, they said, oh, wow, you are a power couple. And we were so moved by that. But despite the fact that we are a power couple, sometimes it is difficult to, to get along. And 
It, it is good, actually, because, I mean, we have a chance to exchange viewpoints and uh, to argue a little bit. <laughs> but, yeah, I, what I wanted to say is that Charles is a writer, so he's the one who holds the pen. And, uh, but, of course, he writes about our, our story and yeah. our common ideas. So it is really um, a family matter and a, and, a, and a couple matter. And we've been going through so much since the, the beginning of the farm. And, and since actually the the beginning of our, our story, the, our self-sufficiency story, that we said, okay, at some point we have to write this down because we was completely certain that this would help uh, newcomers because it is a great way of life, but it is also, we have to, to reckon, very difficult. So at some point we said, okay, if our story can both inspire but also help other people not to uh, get tricked uh-huh. into uh, stupid mistakes. Oh, yes. uh, and, and again, remember, we had no training of any kind in terms of farming. Or, I mean, we've had hardly visited any organic farm before, mm-hmm. even when we started. So it was completely crazy. So we, we thought we had a lot to, to exchange, to communicate. That's why we decided to write this book. And also we were completely enthusiastic by whatever we've been finding since we started farming. When we started farming, we wanted to farm on a very small Small scale scale because we had a small farm. And also, we don't like things with uh, engines. (laughs) Charles used to say, used to have make fun about that. He said every single time one engine sees us coming, it breaks down. And it's almost yeah. true. <laughs> so we wanted to be on small scale. We wanted to produce fruits, vegetables. Being organic was no question at all. And then we had to find technical advice or technical um, influences. We couldn't find any. Nobody in France was growing uh, vegetables that way anymore. It was completely over. And it seemed like the knowledge had gone too. I mean, we were talking about, I mean, the last Parisian farmers, they they stopped practicing at the end of the 90s. Still, nobody knew anymore how Mm, it would work. And believe it or not, we found great, great inspiration and also techniques in Elliot Coleman's book. Oh, because yes. Elliot, he's been traveling to France for years and years. Uh-huh. And he was the one who wrote about all those techniques, all the knowledge the, the Parisian uh, uh, market uh, growers had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we couldn't find anything in France. So, of course, we were just like children when we 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 read uh, Eliot's book and it yeah. was full of inspiration to us so it was it was very an, an interesting adventure because nobody could have said that we would be here today we're still here we're still alive we're still farming we're still enjoying it and on top of it everybody's talking about us because in 2011 a few engineers came to the farm and said well there's something interesting in your small system here, you know. It's yes. very, very small scale, but there's something interesting about it. Let's let's make an experiment. Let's make a study. Okay, let's let's take data and make a study about it. We really want to see how much you're working, how much making, how much money you're making about it um, from it. Uh-huh. 
And uh, for something like three years, a little more than three years, we had to write everything down. And at the end of the day, at the end of the study, they validate our hypothesis, which was we were almost certain that on 1,000 square meters, which is uh, 0.44 acres, we would be able to make a living. One person, one market grower would be able to make make a living living on such a small spot of land. And at at the end of the study, we we yes, we proved it. We proved that it would work. And of course, uh, all the people who nowadays are growing vegetables with uh, tractors, they uh-huh. are very much into mechanical things and stuff. They said at first that we were cheating, that it was not true, that our figures couldn't be possible, etc. And then they had a closer look to it. And why can we be that productive? Just because since we have nothing like tractors or any mechanics on the farm, we are extremely intensive, extremely dense. All the culture, all the vegetables are growing very close from each other. Where usually you would have the wheel of a tractor uh, running. Uh, In our farm, you have at least four type of vegetables growing because we don't need so much space. And also, the great, great lesson from the Maraîcher Parisien in uh, in the 19th century was that at that time they were able on the same bed over a year to have eight types of vegetables because they would associate vegetables a lot. Yeah, it's amazing. Even nowadays, we hardly manage to to have eight types of uh, uh, different vegetables per year on the same place. We managed to do four, five, even six, but eight. It's amazing. And those yeah. people, they were so technical. I mean, they were amazing. They mm-hmm. would produce so many vegetables and fruits. There, it, it was just crazy. And Paris at that time was almost self-sufficient in terms of uh, vegetable production. So we were like, wow. Nowadays, we have tractors. We have this uh, highly sophistic- sophisticated equipment. And our figures are not even closer than the one they had at that time. So we really were inspired by their techniques. And I guess the key was densification, associations, lots of association of different vegetables. Oh, yes. And also permaculture principles. So our farm is half inspired by the Maraîcher Parisien, the, the way that Elliot Coleman would, uh, would grow things, mm-hmm. except that we add the, the associations on top of it. And half of it, the other half would be raised beds. Oh, and yes. to us, it's, it's been year after years, you know, we've been tiptoeing, but years after years, it seems to be a good balance. So we have only 500 uh, square meters of uh, greenhouses, which is very small for vegetable growers. And everything else is outside. And yeah, I think step by step, we managed to uh, realize what was the the right balance for us, both in terms of techniques and where we would grow things. Yeah. You know what I love most about your story is Mm -hmm. your your intense desire to go out and look to see what is working in nature in your space. 
Yeah, but I have to say, at first it was a question of uh, life or death. I mean, since we had no training at all, uh-huh. it was either we would stop doing it, and I wouldn't say we would die, but psychologically speaking, you know how yeah. it is oh, yeah. when you passionate with something and you fail. I mean, it's tough. So there, there was no... There was no going back, you know. Yeah. So we had to struggle to find our yeah. own way because nobody yeah. was able to help us because what we were willing to go to, nobody knew where to go there. Yeah. So we had to find things. We had to find solutions by ourselves. And luckily, and I think it was a great advantage, we were together. So being together meant also lacking money together, <laughs> having to <laughs> raise the family yep. together. But yeah, we were lucky enough when one of us was down, the other one was That's up. It. And yeah. I have to say that every single day we would wake up and having the word and the concept of permaculture in mind, we were completely, completely convinced that we were on the right path. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. <laughs> amen to that. So, oh, you know, you know, yeah. you oh, yeah. say amen in, in the valley. Um, maybe that's why the, the book is called Miracle Abundance, because in the valley, we're surrounded by two monasteries, one with men, one, one with women. So the, the valley has a great history in terms of uh, spirituality. Yes. The book. Miraculous Abundance, One Quarter Acre, Two French Farmers, and Enough Food to Feed the World, published in the United States by Chelsea Green. Get your copy today. (laughs) So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Well, one thing is I just mentioned that we we are a couple, so we work together. This is at the same time very Mm. difficult because you have to get along. Even if we have the same dreams i'm a woman he's a man so by definition we are different and sometimes we don't we wouldn't go to the same uh, goal to the same de- destination the same way you know right. we may have the same objectives but no, not the same way to go there so it, it's been tough but at the same time Luckily enough, we were together, and that's important psychologically speaking and in terms of a workload also, it was important. And then, again, the other failures were more related to something we didn't like. I mean, we are completely passionate about our job, but we're not good sellers. I mean, when it comes to producing, we are very happy, but we are not that happy selling. I mean, we know it's part of the job, but Mm -hmm. it's not the thing that we dream about. So um, I think we've been very naive and uh, maybe not very performing in that field. But lucky enough, every step of the way, we always had good angels coming to us, people who would help us just through a conversation, just giving, coming to the farm, give us a, giving us a hand, customers who came to us and were, oh, I mean, so nice from day one. And, you know, the one who were here from day one, they are the one who had to buy salads, I mean, lettuces, for instance. Mm-hmm. And in those lettuces, you had as many slugs as leaves, <laughs> you believe me. Right. And still, they remain because they were convinced that there was something about this uh, this story, so yeah, we've uh, we've been very lucky because uh, every single time we would 
lack money, somebody would come and say, okay, I'm going to order this to you. And very suddenly we were up again. Mm -hmm. Every single time we were at a turnabout and we had to make um, very important decisions, somebody would come and give us advice without almost without us asking you know it it was yeah. really 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 amazing mm-hmm. wow mm. so this kind of feels like it might transition into my next question for you and that is what is your biggest success mm. Um, maybe to still be there and to still be farming very yeah. simply because it's been very dif- difficult as i mentioned and i would say now in France, I mean, uh, the farm is all over the place. I mean, everybody who's involved uh, or interested in farming or even in food, good food, knows about La Ferme du Bequelois because the study I, I talked about uh, earlier is very, very famous now. Oh, and nice. people, yeah, people tend to think now that we can uh, farm differently. Uh, you know, in France, um, I mean, farming is something very important. It is changing, of course, just like in any other country. But uh, it's been a few years since, I guess, right behind the U.S., we are the biggest consumers of pesticides and mm. chemicals when yes. it comes to farming. Yep. So we are at a point where people are tricked between the love of food and love of good food, quality food, uh, yeah. meaning without any pesticides, and profitable agriculture. And they, t- they used to do to prove that you could only farm profitably, economically speaking, only the way they would do it. I mean, industrially or with tractors and right. lots of um, products, uh, chemicals and mm-hmm. stuff. And we came out of nowhere completely against mainstream and people believed in it. So uh, a, a lot of young farmers now are trying to to set their farm. A few of them uh, set their farm a few years ago. So they are still a bit young. They are still, let's say, a mid, in the middle of the storm. But um, they, they will get there. So um, somehow we were pioneers, that's for sure, with all the goods and bads associated yeah. to the word pioneer. But I guess we set a new way and proved that it was possible. So I'm very, very proud about that. We feel like a little bit now that like we are maybe the, the grandparents of the movement yes. and uh, all the children and grandchildren are, are coming in. And we're very, very happy to, to see young people coming in. But again, I try to advise them uh, as often and uh, as much as possible because we know that it's, it's a tricky way and you need some advice to try to avoid all the all the problems we we, we met so yeah. we try to to be uh, the, the the best grandparents that, that we can <laughs> beautifully beautifully said what drives you oh i guess passion yeah. and I guess we are a bit crazy. Both of us are crazy. <laughs> uh, uh, you, <laughs> you know, know when, I, when I was young, my friends used to call me uh, Zorro. Uh, Zorro is a, is a hero. Is um, like a Superman, in fact, mm-hmm. who saves people and and fights for for the poor and the abandoned and uh, and for the good causes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess Charles, my husband, well, he's also 
um, a dreamer somehow, a dreamer who knows how also how to realize things. Uh, he proved it, but he's always been dreaming that uh, our world, our society would be closer to whatever Mother Nature has to say to us and yeah. what native people has have to say because they know uh, a lot about uh, about nature, they know a lot about spirituality and a lot of things and they are great, great teachers. Wow, beautifully, beautifully said. So I'm all about education and I have to know, is there a book that's been influential for you in this process? Yeah. And, um, well, the, the best thing is that now the, the book itself is influencing the, the, all the education programs here oh, in France. Yeah. And, uh, well, of course, relating, relating to, to, to farming, but mm -hmm. um, more and more people, teachers, are asking us if they can use the book in, the, in their courses, even in oh, junior nice. high school or right. high school, you know. So... I guess this is the sign that um, we still have some hope. I mean, people still believe that our societies can deal with education differently also because um, listening to whatever nature has to say, whatever people who live close to nature have to say, I guess is always very wise. And uh, when yeah. people in... Uh, in the, the, the current uh, training system tend to listen to that, well, I think it's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Hmm. Go for it. I mean, go for your dreams uh -huh. and whatever you think is, um, is good to be done. Mm -hmm. Even if you're alone, do it. I mean, people will come and join you afterward. It's always difficult to be pioneer, but this is the best thing you can do. And you can be a pioneer in your own family or in your in in your company, in your uh, junior high school or high school for younger or at university. If you feel like you're isolated but you think right, I mean, you want to do the right thing for the environment, for nature, and even for all the human beings that surround you, go for it. <laughs> thank you for that. And thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Perrine. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. Thank you so much, Reg, and th thank you for letting me uh, trying to express my poor English. <laughs> oh, you know, you've done a beautiful job. I've been smiling the whole way. So oh, thank you. So how can <laughs> I our can speak French now? <laughs> well, there you go. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Well, they can have a look at our website. We have um, a page in, uh, in English. The, the website is uh, Ferme du Bec, F-E-R-M-E-D-U-B-E-C.com. And there is a, a, a very short film that we've made at the farm that's been uh, translated into English. And I mean, if they type our names on the internet, they will find a lot of things in French. So mm -hmm. we haven't translated everything yet, but they have a good hint, I guess, at, uh, at what we do. And sometimes at the farm, we have some visitors coming from the U.S. Uh, oh, last yes. summer, we had a gentleman, a, uh, a farmer from Chicago who came especially oh, to see us. Beautiful. So it was good. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. Beautiful. And their book is Miraculous Abundance, One Quarter Acre, Two French Farmers, and Enough Food to Feed the World. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org backslash Perrine. That's P 
P-E-R-R-I-N-E. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Greg Peterson here, and I want to thank you for listening to the Urban Farm Podcast. We wouldn't be able to keep doing these great shows without you. So as a token of my appreciation, I'd like to offer you access to a list of our top 10 episodes I personally find most inspiring. If you enjoy the Urban Farm Podcast but don't have time to listen to everyone, then you will love this list. Although all our guests have great information to offer, if you are short on time, these 10 are must-listens. To get access to the top 10 most inspiring podcast episodes, text FARMER to 44222. That's FARMER to 44222. And enjoy listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule, and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.